Ah, how do relapses lay men open to the greatest afflictions and worst temptations? How do they make the wound to bleed afresh? How they do darken and cloud former assurances and evidences for heaven? How do they put a sword into the hand of conscience to cut and slash the soul? They raise such fears, terrors, horrors, and doubts in the soul that the soul cannot be so frequent in duty as formerly, nor so fervent in duty as formerly, nor so confident in duty as formerly, nor so bold, familiar, and delightful with God in duty as formerly, nor so constant in duty as formerly. They give Satan an advantage to triumph over Christ. They make the work of repentance more difficult. They make a man's life a burden, and they render death to be very terrible unto the soul. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that there are many scriptures that do clearly evidence a possibility of the saints falling into the same sins whereof they have formerly repented. I will heal their backslidings, I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from them, saith the Lord by the prophet Hosea. Chapter 14, verse 4. So the prophet Jeremiah speaks, Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep mine anger forever. O turn, O backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. So the psalmist, they turned back and dealt unfaithfully with their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. And no wonder, for though their repentance be never so sincere and sound, yet their graces are but weak and their mortification imperfect in this life. Though by grace they are freed from the dominion of sin, and from the damnatory power of sin, and from the love of all sin, yet grace doth not free them from the seed of any one sin, and therefore it is possible for a soul to fall again and again into the same sin. If the fire be not wholly put out, who would think it impossible that it should catch and burn again and again? Footnote. The sin of backsliding is a soul-wounding sin. I will heal their backsliding. You read of no arms for the back, though you do for the breast. When a soldier bragged too much of a great scar in his forehead, Augustus Caesar, in whose time Christ was born, asked him if he did not get it as he looked back when he fled. End of footnote. Remedy 2 the second remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that God hath nowhere engaged himself by any particular promise that souls converted and united to Christ shall not fall again and again into the same sin after conversion. I cannot find in the whole book of God where he hath promised any such power or strength against this or that particular sin as that the soul should be forever in this life put out of a possibility of falling again and again into the same sins. And where God hath not a mouth to speak, I must not have a heart to believe. God will graciously pardon those sins to his people that he will not in this life effectually subdue in his people. I would go far to speak with that soul that can show me a promise 
that when our sorrow and grief hath been so great and so much for this or that sin, that then God will preserve us from ever falling into that same sin. The sight of such a promise would be as life from the dead to many a precious soul who desires nothing more than to keep close to Christ and fears nothing more than backsliding from Christ. Footnote In some cases the saints have found God better than his word. He promised the children of Israel only the land of Canaan, but besides that he gave them two other kingdoms which he never promised. And to Zacharias he promised to give him his speech at the birth of the child, but besides that he gave him the gift of prophecy. End of footnote. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the most renowned and now crowned saints have in the days of their being on earth relapse into one and the same sin. Footnote A sheep may often slip into a sloth as well as a swine. End of footnote Lot was twice overcome with wine. John twice worshipped the angel. Abraham did often dissemble and lay his wife open to adultery to save his own life, which some heathens would not have done. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. Genesis 20, verse 13 David in his wrath was resolved, if ever man was, that he would be the death of Nabal and all his innocent family. And after this he fell into the foul murder of Uriah. Though Christ told his disciples that his kingdom was not of this world, yet again and again and again, three several times they would needs be on horseback. They would fain be high, great and glorious in this world. Their pride and ambitious humor put them, that were but as so many beggars, upon striving for preeminence and greatness in the world, when their Lord and Master told them three several times of his sufferings in the world and of his going out of the world. Jehoshaphat, though a godly man, yet joins affinity with Ahab. Second Chronicles 18 verses 1 through 3, 30 and 31. And though he was saved by a miracle, yet soon after he falls into the same sin and joins himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. Second Chronicles 20 verses 35 through 37. Samson is by the Spirit of the Lord numbered among the faithful worthies. Yet he fell often into one gross sin, as is evident. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Peter, you know, relapsed often, and so did Jonah. And this comes to pass that they may see their own inability to stand, to resist, or overcome any temptation or corruption. Jude 14, 15, and 16. Footnote. Perhaps the prodigal sets out unto us a Christian relapse for he was a son before and with his father and then went away from him and spent all and yet he was not quite undone but returned again and a footnote and that they may be taken off from all false confidences and rest wholly upon God and only upon God and always upon God and for the praise and honor of the power wisdom, skill, mercy and goodness of the physician of their souls that can heal help and cure when the disease is most dangerous, when the soul is relapsed and grows worse and worse, 
and when others say, there is no help for him and his God, and when his own heart and hopes are dying. Footnote. The prodigal saw the compassion of his father the greater in receiving him after he had run away. End of footnote. Remedy 4. The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that there are relapses into enormities and there are relapses into infirmities. Now it is not usual with God to leave his people frequently to relapse into enormities, for by his spirit and grace, by his smiles and frowns, by his word and rod, he doth usually preserve his people from a frequent relapsing into enormities. Yet he doth leave his choicest ones frequently to relapse into infirmities, and of his grace he pardons them in course, as idle words, passion, and vain thoughts. Footnote. Relapses into enormities are wounding and wasting sins. Therefore the Lord is graciously pleased to put under his everlasting arms and stay his chosen ones from frequently falling into them. End of footnote. Though gracious souls strive against these and complain of these and weep over these, yet the Lord, to keep them humble, leaves them frequently to relapse into these, and the frequent relapses into infirmities shall never be their bane, because they be their burden. Remedy 5 The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that there are involuntary relapses and there are voluntary relapses. Involuntary relapses are when the resolution and full bent of the heart is against sin, when the soul strives with all its might against sin, by sighs and groans, by prayers and tears, and yet out of weakness is forced to fall back into sin because there is not spiritual strength enough to overcome. Now though involuntary relapses must humble us, yet they must never discourage nor defect us, for God will freely and readily pardon those in court. Voluntary relapses are when the soul longs and loves to return to the flesh pots of Egypt, Exodus 16.3, when it is a pleasure and a pastime to a man to return to his old courses. Such voluntary relapses speak out the mind blinded, hardened, and ripened for ruin. Footnote. There is a great difference between a sheep that by weakness falls into the mire and a swine that delights to wallow in the mire, between a woman that is forced, though she strives and cries out, and an alluring adulteress. End of footnote. Remedy 6. The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that there is no such power or infinite virtue in the greatest horror or sorrow the soul can be under for sin, nor in the sweetest or choicest discoveries of God's grace and love to the soul, as forever to fence and secure the soul from relapsing into the same sin. Grace is but a created habit that may be prevailed against by the secret, subtle, and strong workings of sin in our hearts. And those discoveries that God makes of his love, beauty, and glory to the soul do not always abide in their freshness and power upon the heart but by degrees they fade and wear off, and then the soul may return again to folly, as we see in Peter, who after he had a glorious testimony from Christ's own mouth of his blessedness and happiness, labors to prevent Christ from going up to Jerusalem to suffer out of bare slavish fears that he and his fellows could not be secure if his master should be brought to suffer. Matthew 16 verses 15 through 19 
and verses 22 through 24. And again after this, Christ had him up into the mount, and there showed him his beauty and his glory, to strengthen him against the hour of temptation that was coming upon him. And yet, soon after he had the honor and happiness of seeing the glory of the Lord, which most of his disciples had not, he basely and most shamefully denies the Lord of glory, thinking by that means to provide for his own safety. Footnote Christ upbraided his disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart, who had seen his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. End of footnote And yet again, after Christ had broke his heart with a look of love for his most unlovely dealings, and bade them that were first acquainted with his resurrection to go and tell Peter that he was risen. Mark 16:7. I say, after all this, slavish fears prevail upon him, and he basely disassembles and plays the Jew with the Jews, and the Gentile with the Gentiles, to the seducing of Barnabas. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 13. Yet by way of caution, no, it is very rare that God doth leave his beloved ones frequently to relapse into one and the same gross sin. For the law of nature is in arms against gross sins, as well as the law of grace, so that a gracious soul cannot, dares not, will not frequently return to gross folly. And God hath made even his dearest ones dearly smart for their relapses, as may be seen by his dealings with Samson, Jehoshaphat and Peter Ah Lord what a hard heart hath that man that can see thee stripping and whipping thy dearest ones for their relapses and yet making nothing of returning to folly Device 8 By persuading them that their estate is not good their hearts are not upright their graces are not sound because they are so followed vexed and tormented with temptations It is his method first to weary and vex thy soul with temptations and then to tempt the soul that surely it is not beloved because it is so much tempted. By this stratagem he keeps many precious souls in a sad, doubting and mourning temper many years as many of the precious sons of Zion have found by woeful experience. Footnote He may so tempt as to make a saint weary of his life. Job 10 verse 1 My soul is weary of my life. End of footnote. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is, solemnly to consider, that those that have been best and most beloved have been most tempted by Satan. Though Satan can never rob a Christian of his crown, yet such is his malice that he will therefore tempt that he may spoil them of their comforts. Such is his enmity to the Father that the nearer and dearer any child is to him, the more will Satan trouble him and vex him with temptations. Christ himself was most near and most dear, most innocent and most excellent, and yet none so much tempted as Christ. David was dearly beloved and yet by Satan tempted to number the people. Footnote Pirates do not use to set upon poor empty vessels, and beggars need not fear the thief. Those that have most of God and are most rich in grace shall be most set upon by Satan, who is the greatest and wisest pirate in the world. End of footnote. Job was highly praised by God himself, and yet much tempted. Witness those sad things that fell from his mouth when he was wet to the skin. Peter was much prized by Christ, 
witnessed that choice testimony that Christ gave of his faith and happiness and his showing him his glory in the mount and that eye of pity that he cast upon him after his fearful fall and yet tempted by Satan. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. Luke 22 verses 31 and 32 Paul had the honor of being exalted as high as heaven and of seeing that glory that could not be expressed and yet he was no sooner stepped out of heaven but he is buffeted by Satan lest he should be exalted above measure 2 Corinthians 12 verses 2 and 7 If these that were so really and so gloriously so eminently beloved of God If these that have lived in heaven and set their feet upon the stars have been tempted, let no saints judge themselves not to be beloved because they are tempted. It is as natural for saints to be tempted that are dearly beloved as it is for the sun to shine or a bird to sing. The eagle complains not of her wings, nor the peacock of his train, nor the nightingale of her voice, because these are natural to them. No more should saints of their temptations because they are natural to them. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6.12 Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that all the temptations that befall the saints shall be sanctified to them by a hand of love. Are the choice experiences that the saints get of the power of God supporting them, of the wisdom of God directing them, so to handle their spiritual weapons, their graces, as not only to resist but to overcome, of the mercy and goodness of the Lord pardoning and succoring them? And therefore saith Paul, I receive the messenger of Satan for to buffet me, lest I should be exalted, lest I should be exalted above measure. 2 Corinthians 12.7 Twice in that verse he begins with it and ends with it. If he had not been buffeted, who knows how his heart would have swelled. He might have been carried higher in conceit than before he was in his ecstasy. Temptation is God's school wherein he gives his people the clearest and sweetest discoveries of his love. A school wherein God teaches his people to be more frequent and fervent in duty. Footnote Luther said there were three things that made a preacher meditation, prayer, and temptation. End of footnote. When Paul was buffeted, then he prayed thrice, that is, frequently and fervently, a school wherein God teaches his people to be more tender, meek, and compassionate to other poor, tempted souls than ever. A school wherein God teaches his people to see a greater evil in sin than ever, and a greater emptiness in the creature than ever and a greater need of Christ and free grace than ever. A school wherein God will teach his people that all temptations are but his goldsmiths, by which he will try and refine and make his people more bright and glorious. The issue of all temptations shall be to the good of the saints, as you may see by the temptations that Adam and Eve and Christ and Jacob and Job and Peter and Paul met with. Those hands of power and love that bring light out of darkness, good out of evil, sweet out of bitter, life out of death, heaven out of hell, 
will bring much sweet and good to his people out of all the temptations that come upon them. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is wisely to consider that no temptations do hurt or harm the saints so long as they are resisted by them and prove the greatest afflictions that can befall them. It is not Satan's tempting, but your assenting, not his enticing, but your yielding, that makes temptations hurtful to your soul. If the soul, when it is tempted, resists temptation, and saith with Christ, Get thee behind me, Satan, Matthew 16:23, and with that young convert, I am not the man I was, or as Luther counsels all men to answer all temptations with these words, I am a Christian. If a man's temptation be his greatest affliction, then is the temptation no sin upon his soul, though it be a trouble upon his mind. When a soul can look the Lord in the face and say, Ah, Lord, I have many outward troubles upon me. I have lost such and such a near mercy, and such and such desirable mercies. And yet, thou that knowest the heart, thou knowest that all my crosses and losses do not make so many wounds in my soul, nor fetch so many sighs from my heart or tears from my eyes as those temptations that Satan follows my soul with. When it is thus with the soul, then temptations are only the soul's trouble. They are not the soul's sin. Satan is a malicious and envious enemy. As his names are, so is he. His names are all names of enmity, the accuser, the tempter, the destroyer, the devourer, the envious one. And this malice and envy of his he shows sometimes by tempting men to such sins as are quite contrary to the temperature of their bodies, as he did Vespasian and Julian, men of sweet and excellent natures, to be most bloody murderers. Footnote. Sometimes he shows his malice by letting those things abide by the soul as may most vex and plague the soul, as Gregory observes in his leaving of Job's wife which was not out of his forgetfulness, carelessness, or any love or pity to Job, but to vex and torment him, and to work him to blaspheme God, despair, and die. End of footnote. And sometimes he shows his malice by tempting men to such things as will bring them no honor nor profit. Fall down and worship me. Matthew 4.9 He tempts to blasphemy and atheism the thoughts and first motions whereof cause the heart and flesh to tremble. And sometimes he shows his malice by tempting them to those sins which they have not found their natures prone to, and which they abhor in others. Now if the soul resists these and complains of these, and groans and mourns under these, and looks up to the Lord Jesus to be delivered from these, they shall not be put down to the soul's account, but to Satan's, who shall be so much the more tormented, by how much more he has tempted the saints. Make present and peremptory resistance against Satan's temptations. Bid defiance to the temptation at first sight. It is safe to resist. It is dangerous to dispute. Eve lost herself and her posterity by falling into lists of dispute when she should have resisted and stood upon terms of defiance with Satan. He that would stand in the hour of temptation must plead with Christ, it is written. He that would triumph over temptations must plead still, it is written. Footnote 
When Constantine the emperor was told that there was no means to cure his leprosy but by bathing his body in the blood of infants, he immediately answered, I had rather not be cured than use such a remedy. End of footnote. Satan is bold and impudent, and if you were not preemptory in your resistance, he will give you fresh onsets. It is your greatest honor and your highest wisdom preemptorily to withstand the beginnings of a temptation, for an after-remedy comes often too late. Mrs. Catherine Britteridge once, after a great conflict with Satan, said, Reason not with me, I am but a weak woman. If thou hast anything to say, say it to my Christ. He is my advocate, my strength, and my redeemer, and he shall plead for me. Men must not seek to resist Satan's craft with craft, but by open defiance. He shoots with Satan in his own bow, who thinks by disputing and reasoning to put him off. As soon as the temptation shows its face, say to the temptation, as Ephraim to his idols, Get you hence, what have I any more to do with you? Hosea 14.8 Oh, say to the temptation, as David said to the sons of Zariah, What have I to do with you? 2 Samuel 16.10 You will be too hard for me. He that doth thus resist temptations shall never be undone by temptations. Footnote I have read of one who, being tempted with offers of money to desert Christ, gave this excellent answer. Let not any man think that he will embrace other men's goods to forsake Christ, who hath forsaken his own proper goods to follow Christ. End of footnote Make strong and constant resistance against Satan's temptations. Make resistance against temptations by arguments drawn from the honor of God, the love of God, your union and communion with God, and from the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the intercession of Christ, and the glory of Christ, and from the voice of the Spirit, the counsel of the Spirit, the comfort of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the whisperings, the commands, the assistance, the witness of the Spirit, and from the glory of heaven, the excellency of grace, the beauty of holiness, the worth of the soul, and the vileness or bitterness and evil of sin, the least sin being a greater evil than the greatest temptation in the world. And look that you make constant resistance as well as strong resistance by constant in arms. Satan will come on with new temptations when old ones are too weak. Footnote Luke 4.13 And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Christ had no rest until he was exactly tried with all sorts of temptations. And a footnote In a calm, prepare for a storm. The tempter is restless, impudent, and subtle. He will suit his temptations to your constitutions and inclinations. Satan loves to sail with the wind. If your knowledge be weak, he will tempt you to err. If your conscience be tender, he will tempt you to scrupulosity and to too much preciseness, as to do nothing but hear, pray, and read. If your consciences be wide and large, he will tempt you to carnal security. If you are bold-spirited, he will tempt you to presumption. If timorous, to desperation. If flexible, to inconstancy. If proud and stiff, to gross folly. Therefore, still fit for fresh assaults, make one victory a step to another. 
When you have overcome the temptation, take heed of unbending your bow, and look well to it, that your bow be always bent, and that it remains in strength. When you have overcome one temptation, you must be ready to enter the course with another. As distrust in some sense is the mother of safety, so security is the gate of danger. A man had need to fear this most of all, that he fears not at all. If Satan be always roaring, we should be always a-watching and resisting of him. And certainly he that makes strong and constant resistance of Satan's temptations shall in the end get above his temptations, and for the present is secure enough from being ruined by his temptations. For a close of this, remember that it is dangerous to yield to the least sin to be rid of the greatest temptation. To take this course were as if a man should think to wash himself clean in ink, or as if a man should exchange a light cross made of paper for an iron cross, which is heavy, toilsome, and bloody. The least sin sent home upon the conscience will more wound, vex, and oppress the soul than all the temptations in the world can. Therefore, never yield to the least sin to be rid of the greatest temptation. Footnote He that will yield to sin to be rid of temptation will be so much the more tempted and the less able to withstand temptations. Sidonius Apollinarius relateth how a certain man named Maximus, arriving at the top of honor by indirect means, was the first day very much wearied and fetching a deep sigh, said, O Democles, how happy do I esteem of thee for having been a king but the space of a dinner. I have been one whole day and can bear it no longer. I will leave you to make the application. Part 5, page 183 Satan's devices to destroy and ensnare all sorts and ranks of men in the world. 1. Devices against the great and honorable of the earth. Device 1. His first device to destroy the great and honorable of the earth is by working them to make it their business to seek themselves, to seek how to greaten themselves, to raise themselves, to enrich themselves, to secure themselves. As you may see in Pharaoh, Ahab, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Absalom, Joab, Haman, and others. Footnote. Self-seeking, like the deluge, overthrows the whole world. End of footnote. But were the scripture silent, our own experiences do abundantly evidence this way and method of Satan to destroy the great and the honorable, to bury their names in the dust and their souls in hell, by drawing them wholly to mind themselves and only to mind themselves, and in all things to mind themselves and always to mind themselves. All, said the apostle, mind themselves. Philippians 2.21 All comparatively in respect of the paucity of others that let fall their private interests and drown all self-respects in the glory of God and the public good. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that self-seeking is a sin that will put men upon a world of sins upon sins not only against the law of God the rules of the gospel but that are against the very laws of nature that are so much darkened by the fall of man. Footnote Self-love is the root of the hatred of others. 2 Timothy 3.2 First, lovers of themselves and then fierce, 
etc. The naturalists observe that those beasts which are most cruel to others are most loving to their own. End of footnote. It puts the Pharisees upon opposing Christ and Judas upon betraying Christ and Pilate upon condemning Christ. It puts Gehazi upon lying and Balaam upon cursing and Saul and Absalom upon plotting David's ruin. It puts Pharaoh and Haman upon contriving ways to destroy those Jews that God did purpose to save by his mighty arm. It puts men upon using wicked balances in the bag of deceitful weights. It puts men upon ways of oppression and selling the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Amos 2.6 I know not any sin in the world, but this sin of self-seeking will put men upon it, though it be to their eternal loss. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that self-seeking doth exceedingly abase a man. It strips him of all his royalty and glory. Of a lord it makes a man become a servant to the creature, I often to the worst of creatures, yea, a slave to slaves, as you may see in Judas, Demas, Balaam, and the scribes and the Pharisees. A self-seeker is a Cato without, but a narrow within. Domitian would seem to love them best, whom he willed least should live, and that is the very temper of self-seekers. End of footnote. Self-seekers bow down to the creatures, as Gideon's many thousands bow down to the waters. Self-seeking will make a man say anything, do anything, and be anything, to please the lust of others, and to get advantages upon others. Self-seeking transforms a man into all shapes and forms. Now it makes a man appear as an angel of light, Anon as an angel of darkness. Footnote. It was death in Moses' rights to counterfeit that ceremonial and figurative ointment. Exodus 30.33 What shall it then be to counterfeit the spirit of life and holiness? End of footnote. Now self-seekers are seemingly for God. Anon they are openly against God. Now you shall have them crying Hosanna in the highest and anon Crucify him, crucify him. Now you shall have them build with the saints, and anon you shall have them plotting the overthrow of the saints, as those self-seekers did in Ezra and Nehemiah's time. Self-seekers are the basest of all persons. There is no service so base, so poor, so low, but they will bow to it. They cannot look neither above nor beyond their own lusts in the enjoyment of the creature. Romans 1.25 These are the prime and ultimate objects of their intendments. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to dwell upon those dreadful curses and woes that are from heaven denounced against self-seekers. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Isaiah 5, 8. So Habakkuk 2, verses 6 and 9 through 12. Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. 
for the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establisheth a city by iniquity. The materials of the house built up by oppression shall come as joint witnesses. The stones of the wall shall cry, Lord, we were built up by blood and violence, and the beam shall answer, True, Lord, even so it is. The stones shall cry, Vengeance, Lord, upon these self-seekers, and the beam shall answer, Woe to him, because he built his house with blood. Footnote Crassus, a very rich Roman and a great self-seeker, for greedy desire of gold he managed war against the Parthians, by whom both he and 30,000 Romans were slain. And because the barbarians conjectured that he made his assault upon them for their gold, therefore they melted gold and poured it into his dead body, saying, Satisfy thyself with gold. End of footnote. So Isaiah, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. Isaiah 10 verses 1 and 2. So Amos, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came, that put far away the evil day, and cause the seat of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the middle of the stall, that drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. But they are not grieved for the afflictions of Joseph. Amos 6, verse 1, and verses 3 through 6. So Micah, Woe to them that devise iniquity, and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields, and take them by violence, and houses, and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Micah 2, verses 1 and 2. By these scriptures you see that self-seekers labor like a woman in travail, but their birth proves their death, their pleasure their pain, their comforts their torment, their glory their shame, their exaltation their desolation. Loss, disgrace, trouble and shame, vexation and confusion will be the certain portion of self-seekers. When the Tartarians had taken in battle the Duke of Muscovia, they made a cup of his skull with this inscription, All covet, all lose. Footnote Tacitus, the Roman emperor's word was, He that is too much for himself fails to be good to others. End of footnote. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that self-seekers are self-losers and self-destroyers. Absalom and Judas seek themselves and hang themselves. Saul seeks himself and kills himself. Ahab seeks himself and loses himself, his crown and kingdom. Pharaoh seeks himself and overthrows himself and his mighty army in the Red Sea. Cain saw himself and slew two at once, his brother and his own soul. Gehazi sought change of raiment, but God changed his raiment into a leprous skin. 
Haman sought himself and lost himself. The princes and residents sought themselves in the ruin of Daniel, but ruined themselves, their wives and children. That which self-seekers think should be a staff to support them becomes by the hand of justice an iron rod to break them. That which they would have as springs to refresh themselves becomes a gulf utterly to consume them. The crosses of self-seekers shall always exceed their mercies, their pain, their pleasure, their torments, their comforts. Every self-seeker is a self-tormentor, a self-destroyer. He carries a hell, an executioner, in his own bosom. Footnote Adam seeks himself and loses himself, paradise and that blessed image that God had stamped upon him. Lot seeks himself, Genesis 13 verses 10 and 11, and loses himself and his goods. Peter seeks to save himself and miserably loses himself. Hezekiah, in the business of the ambassador, seeks himself and lost himself and his life too, had not God saved him by a miracle. End of footnote. Remedy 5 The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is to dwell much upon the famous examples of those worthy saints that have denied themselves and preferred the public good before their own particular advantage. Footnote It is good to be of his opinion in mind who was rather willing to beautify Italy than his own house. The ancients were wont to place the statutes of their princes by their fountains, intimating they were, or at least should be, fountains of the public good. End of footnote. As Moses, And the Lord said unto Moses, Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. Deuteronomy 9.14 Oh, but this offer would not take with Moses, he being a man of brave public spirit. He is hot in his desires and prayers that the people might be spared and pardoned. Saith he, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And if thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Numbers 14, verses 19 through 20. Ah, should God make such an offer to many that write themselves Moses and are called by many Moses, I am afraid they would prefer their own advantage above the public good. They would not care what became of the people, so they and theirs might be made great and glorious in the world. They would not care, so they might have a babel built for them, though it was upon the ashes and ruin of the people. Baser spirits than these are not in hell. No, not in hell, and I am sure there are no such spirits in heaven. Such men's hearts and principles must be changed, or they will be undone forever. Nehemiah was a choice soul, a man of a brave public spirit, a man that spent his time, his strength, and his estate for the good and ease of his people. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at 
www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.